everyone. We are Rena and Dara, and welcome to Fertility Forward. We are part of the wellness team at RMA of New York, a fertility clinic affiliated with Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Our Fertility Forward podcast brings together advice from medical professionals, mental health specialists, wellness experts, and patients, because knowledge is power, and you are your own best advocate. Aliza Verstendig has been a fertility nurse at RMA of New York for five years. In this episode, we talk about what exactly a fertility nurse does, we get an inside look at a fertility clinic, and we talk about the very important burning question of, is there really a rhyme or reason for the time of day you get that phone call with results? Stay tuned. So, Aliza, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I can't wait. Definitely a patient favorite here at RMA. Thank you. Thank you. So we're hoping you'll tell lots of insider insights into what goes on, you know, behind the scenes as a fertility nurse. But let's start from the beginning. What made you want to go into this field, whether nursing and more specifically reproductive endocrinology? So I actually started very far from nursing. When I was in college, I said I wanted to do anything that wasn't related to science. Okay. <laughs> my initial see, fulfilled that. Yeah, exactly. And as I went through schooling and I majored in English literature and communications, anything not related. And in my last semester, I decided that that wasn't going to cut it for me. I didn't feel like it was going to make me feel fulfilled. So then I turned to nursing and I went back to school, did all my postdoc classes, went to nursing school. And I did feel like going through nursing school, I wanted to do women's health. I loved my maternity rotations. I was very fortunate to get a job right out of school in labor and delivery and postpartum in a hospital. So that was great. And I loved the experience. But the reason I wanted to be a nurse was because I'm a people person and I love people. And although I felt I was making an acute difference in the moment, I wanted something that felt like it could extend a bit further. So thankfully, this job happened to fall in my lap. A friend that I knew worked here. She told me about it, and I was fortunate enough to get this position, and it was exactly what I was looking for. I've been here for almost five years, and I don't plan on ever leaving. The right Ah, fit. Exactly. (laughs) So it sounds like for sure, you know, you really love what you do. Yes, I definitely love what I do. I remember coming home the first day of starting this job and my dad asked me, how was work? And I said it was great. And he was like, what? (laughs) Who says that? (laughs) And good for you that you figured it out a little bit later that it wasn't right off the bat. It wasn't first year in college and you took that time and look at you found something that you're passionate about about. And that's great because when you're passionate about something, people see and people get better care that way. Sure. Yeah. And it's really great. And although obviously even in the best job that you love, there are days that you're tired and don't want to come to work, but I never feel thankfully that I'm just dreading coming to work because I really do love the patient-centered care and getting to meet new people and interact with them and really feeling like you're making a difference on a daily basis. Ah. So what do you love most about the job? I think I love just making the long-term connections with the patients. So really getting to see them on a daily basis. There are patients that have been here for years. They come back for baby number mm-hmm. two, three. I talk to them more than they talk to their family. You know, you really just make these long-term connections with patients that I think maybe in other aspects of medicine, you don't always get the chance to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really the most meaningful. It's interesting that you say that when I trained at Mount Sinai, one of the areas that was really challenging for me, and it sounds a similar to you is, you know, you're in a hospital environment and you're seeing a patient, what, for all of five, 10 minutes. And maybe for you as a nurse, you probably do interact with them a little bit more depending on how long their stay is. But then you send them off and that's it. And you don't really get that long-term connection. 
And it's nice that you found a place where you actually get to form that relationship, form that connection that goes well beyond them being active patients. Yeah. And I think fertility is one of those areas of medicine, whether it be fortunate or unfortunate, because most of the time it is a little bit of a longer process than other areas of medicine. But I think that really does lend a lot more to make connections with patients and make a difference in things other than just the medicine aspect of it. Mm -hmm. What is the hardest parts of your job? Well, with all those great parts of making those connections, it's obviously very emotionally taxing. You get very close to your patients in a good way, but you also do have to take a step back and with all the good, sometimes there are some bad outcomes and you have to try not to take that home and take it to heart because you have to keep moving on. And you also have to be the one that's the positive one and the positive support for the patient. So I think that's the hardest part is kind of making that connection, but also being able to separate and be that positive kind of side for them. So are you the point person to call up the patient to tell them their results? Yeah. I mean, thankfully, the nurses usually get to do most of the good results, but obviously there are sometimes and we have to call with the negative results. But yeah, as a general, I mean, the doctors are doing procedures daily and other tasks. So, you know, the nurses as a general, the ones calling you with your medication instructions, your results. It's a lot of education explaining how to do your injections, explaining why you're doing it, why the dosing of the medications, et cetera. So, you know, if you're in that cycle, you could be speaking to the nurse every day. So one of the things my patients always ask me, they think there's sort of a secret timing around the phone calls. You know, if the phone rings after 12, it's going to be bad. If it rings before 12, it's going to be good. So can you help dispel any myth around the phone call? Tell us what that's about. Yes. So one of the main things about the timing of the phone calls is about what time the blood work results come in. And that we have... No, good to know. For all you listeners, (laughs) don't think about the time. It doesn't really matter. There's no rhyme or reason necessarily whether you get a good result or bad result or that phone call. Correct. And sometimes the labs come back early. Sometimes they come back late. There's an issue with the machine and we have no control over that. And once the results come in, we also have to have a physician review the results and the plan. So if they're with patients all day and they don't get a chance to review it until a little bit later, that would be a reason why a patient would get a phone call later. Not because results are good or bad. Not because we like a patient more than another patient. It's kind of just the luck of the draw when the results come in and they're reviewed. I always thought it was first thing in the morning for good and not so great down the road <laughs> after later on the day. really freak out. So I'm yeah. so glad we could share this. Yes, so definitely want to yeah, dispel any theories about A that. lot of factors that go into the call. So besides that, take us through a typical day or other areas that you work with in terms of patients and your colleagues. What yeah. do you so do? a typical day for a nurse would be, you know, the patients are coming in in the morning for blood work, ultrasounds, kind of routine monitoring, depending on what type of cycle they're in. So in the morning, you're meeting with patients, going through any instructions they need at that time or potential instructions, making sure they have the right medications, enough medications. So that's usually the morning monitoring kind of process. As the day goes on, you're going to see new patients. You're going to see follow-up patients that come in to see your physician. There'll be patients that need to come in to sign consents to learn how to do medications. Throughout the day, you'll be reviewing results, basic diagnostic results, results from the day, medication instructions. Sometimes we'll be doing in-person medication teaching. So that's the general day, I mean, it will change with each day and with each team, depending on how that day is set out and your schedule. 
But as a general, those are the basic tasks you're doing. Well, I know when I was a patient almost 10 years ago, there was a video that we had to watch in the beginning that kind of gave us an outline of the steps that we have to go if we're doing IVF. Is it still a video? Is it a handout? Is it one-on-one? So if you're proceeding with IVF, you're going to meet with an IVF coordinator who's going to give you all the basic information, your basic timeline, a handbook about the things we do here. Once you've decided that that's the protocol you're moving forward with, we then have a series of videos that you have to watch about, in general, the whole process of IVF, the Mm -hmm. whole physiologic behind it, the medications and all those things. And you'll do that before you sign any type of consent forms to really, so that we know that you really have informed consents, you know what the entire process will be like. And then we're actually now currently working on creating new videos, medication videos that we do here, because although there are a lot of really good videos out there, every facility does things a little bit differently. So we're actually working on specializing them to exactly what we do here and what our physicians do here. That is so great. I remember when I was going through the shots, there wasn't a specific video and, you know, we're all different types of learners. Some people like to read it on a piece of paper. Some people like to listen to it. Some people are visual learners. I'm definitely a visual learner. And I ended up YouTubing, asking, you know, how to do the progesterone injection and had no idea. And also it's true the videos depending where you go or depending the protocol, it's very different. So it's nice to be able to have a place to streamline it for RMA patients. Yeah. And the good thing also is now it used to be that they would expire after a certain time. We used to have in-person classes, which was a one-time thing where you could have potentially a lot of other couples. So you may not feel comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, expressing your questions or concerns. Now the class and videos that we have, the patient will have access to at all times throughout the cycle. So you can always watch a medication video right before you do it. You can always look it over, call back with any questions. So I think they have a bit more interactive access to everything now, which is good. Oh, that's great. And I think, you know, I have patients tell me they start to watch the videos and they hear certain nurses voice every night because they watch the video over and over and over. So, you know, it helps calm them down and give them something that's constant. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people feel very overwhelmed and like, you know, why don't I understand this? The mixing, the injections, it's so hard. And, you know, Elisa, you went to school for this, right? You have specific training for it. It is difficult, you know, and giving people not in the medical field the responsibility of mixing medications Mm -hmm. and injections. It's a lot to handle. Yeah. I mean, I always try to tell patients when they start freaking out about it, I say, if I wasn't a medical professional, I would also be freaking out about this. I remember the first time I gave an injection in the hospital, my hand was shaking so much. The patient was probably freaking out. But we don't expect patients to walk through the door and everyone to have medical knowledge and know how to do things. But what I try to stress to people is that most of the medications, there's such a small margin of error. And if it was such a big deal and you could mess it up so much, we wouldn't allow the patients to do it on their right. own. We that's would administer nice them all here. So that's what I try to express to them that there are very few ways that you can really do them completely wrong. And they're coming in so frequently that as long as they don't feel embarrassed to ask, which I mm-hmm. implore everyone to not mm-hmm. always ask questions, you know, you can call the office at any time. Next time you come and ask the doctor, ask the nurse, and you never have to feel embarrassed. Any mistake you've made, everyone's made it and worse. And also right. they're probably not the first person asking that question. Definitely not. <laughs> also, it helps us. Any questions you ask, sometimes maybe you found something that we never even thought of or no one brought to our attention. And then moving forward, we can make sure that we clarify that so no one else has that issue. And I also think when it comes to injections, the hardest 
part is the first time because it's the unknown. And that's what I try to tell patients when they ask me about my personal experience. One of the first things I say is the unknown is scary, but especially with injections after the first time and you kind of realize, okay, may not have felt amazing, but you can do it. Take your time. There's no rush. And after you've done it the first time, it gets that much easier, just like with everything else. Yeah, I always stress the anticipation is always worse. Yeah, It's just thinking about the concept of, you know, trying to think of mixing and reconstituting medication is so daunting. And that on top of then also having yourself pricked with the needle and all these things. And then I always tell them this and I always check in with them when they come back, you know, after doing it for a few days. And they're like, you know what, you're right. Once we did Mm -hmm. it, it was fine. And it's it's like with anything, the unknown, it's scary. It's hard. And I think, look, you know, your apartment, all the meds kind of looks like a Dwayne Reed. Your refrigerator's (sighs) filled with medication. What needs to be refrigerated? What doesn't? And I think for a lot of people, they have maybe past, you know, triggers or trauma experience, whatever, you know, in a medical setting, it's very scary. But as you said, you know, the unknown. And once you do it, I remember I sat there, I had my mom come over for my first injection. My mom's a nurse, but I wanted to do it myself because I wanted to feel in control. And I sat there for an hour. And I just held the needle there and I couldn't do it. And she's like looking at her watch, like, come on already, I got things to do. And literally an hour I sat there. Finally, I did it. And I was like, oh, okay, that was no big deal. Yeah, after the first Sorry for wasting your time, right? But <laughs> Yeah, but you wouldn't have known until you did it. Yeah, it's very scary. Yeah, I usually equate it to, at least for me, if I was thinking about like jumping off a waterfall, like I went to Costa Rica and we like jumped off these waterfalls. It was like, you're standing on the edge, you're standing on the edge and mm-hmm. keep saying one, two, three, one, two, three, but you can't get yourself to jump. And then finally you jump and you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. But it took you like 45 minutes to get yourself right. to jump off. And I think part of it also is if you can get some support to be there, even for the first time. I had a friend who came in for egg freezing and she contacted me. She's like, Dara, I'm really afraid. I'm not a science person. I'm afraid of needles. Can you come over? We can walk me through it together. I'm going to do it on my own, but I want you to be there. And I think the idea of trying to reach out to someone, especially for that first time, who you feel comfortable and confident with. I love that. And I think a couple of things are one is, you know, I've had patients, you know, reach out for support from doormen, their trainers, just sort of anybody. I um, mean, you know, this is a very humanistic thing. You know, asking for help is a very human thing. Being vulnerable is scary, but it really appeals to humanity. So I think, you know, that's one is, but that's hard for people sometimes. It can be. And so I think, you know, if that's not something you're comfortable with, you know, there are other ways to find support. You know, Fruitful Fertility, we're going to have their founder on in a couple of weeks and their kind of a mentorship program. You can sign up online. You can be matched with somebody else who's either gone through the process or going through it. So that's a way to meet somebody. You know, there are various groups you can join. And there's all sorts of ways to meet people and get help. And I think sometimes asking for help really is the hardest part. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think it's in whatever way you feel. I've had patients who just will have a friend sit there with them and just mm-hmm. watch me do it just to have like the moral support of someone sitting there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they want someone to know how to do the medication just in case they mess up. So in whatever way you need the support, if it's someone who's never right. done it, someone who's done it before. Right. Have someone on FaceTime, you like know, have you, someone on speakerphone, whatever I, it is. I like what you said, Rena, that it doesn't necessarily have to be a friend. It could be someone who you don't really know who you've met through a support group who can give you that support that you need. Just somebody. And I found myself a big sort of silver lining from this process was meeting other people going through it. And once I started opening up about my experience and what I was going through, you know, people really came out of the woodwork and I really experienced nothing but kindness. I made wonderful connections. It really is a unique shared experience. You know, you saw I say it's like the sorority you never wanted to join, but you're in it. You know, you find other people, other people understand, and it really is this very strong connection. Yeah. And I think in general, obviously it's 
a very stressful process and overwhelming to begin with. So, I mean, the best thing you can have is support and also to feel like there are other people going through the same thing that you are understanding your struggle. You know, it's a lonely process to begin with. So Mm -hmm. I think the more people in whatever way that means to you that you can surround yourself with, just even just to make yourself feel more comfortable, I think that will help you you know, a long way. Mm-hmm. So we're so lucky to have you. <laughs> really, your positivity and your support. I have such an affinity for nurses mm-hmm. training at the hospital. You guys do so much and give so much love. It's remarkable. Mm-hmm. So outside of work, what do you like to do? What do you do when you're not at RMA? Great question. I mean, I'm always at RMA, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but what I'm not, I love music and I love movies. So I love going to concerts. So the movie theater is my happy place. I'm very simple in that way. Those things make me happy. <laughs> we have this bond over The Bachelor yes. as well. I was going to say, this isn't my first podcast. I did one about The Bachelor recently. Yes, I can't wait to listen to it. It's definitely a big passion of mine. You know, way too many details about it, as we were saying before. But yeah, I mean, also, I think when you love your job, especially if it has any emotional component, sometimes it's nice to come home and kind of be able to separate that. Sure. And I'm definitely watching The Bachelor in Texas mm-hmm. TV is a good way to so disassociate. It takes you away from reality. Yeah. So we always end our podcast with words of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to ask you what you are most grateful for today or right at this moment. I know it's going to sound cheesy and you're going to think I'm making it up, but you can ask anyone in my life that it's true, that I always say really am so, so fortunate for this job every single day. You know, I did work in the hospital and I got a lot of experience that I couldn't get anywhere else. So I'm happy for that experience, but it definitely wasn't the place for me. And I definitely came to a point where I was questioning if nursing was even my path. And then I got this job and I really felt like this is what I was meant to do. And I feel so fortunate that I get to do it every day with people that I love, coworkers, doctors that I respect. I get to meet amazing people and really feel like I'm making a difference on a daily basis. Oh, nice. I love that. So the stars really aligned. Yeah. The universe mm-hmm. guided you here. Yeah, to be able to find your passion. I feel like when you're passionate about something, it really does emanate towards mm-hmm. everyone around you. Yeah. So we're the lucky ones. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Dara. <laughs> oh, <you're laughs> I'm first. Um, what am I lucky for right at the second? I'm lucky for the change in seasons. And I always thought in the past that summer was my season. But I'm so happy that, you know, it's getting into the cooler months, appreciating the change in the season. And yeah, that's something very random, but that's what I'm grateful for at this moment. Oh. What about you, Rena? Oh. You know, I love that. That made me think this morning I was running in Central Park and I smelled apple cider. And it was the first time this season I smelled that. So I knew, you know, we were coming for Fresh. fall and it smelled so so good. So I was so grateful in that moment to be smelling apple cider, running outside, being able to run. So I'm going to say that too. Living your best life, Rena. <laughs> oh, yeah. Waking up at five, going for a run. Definitely a good life. <laughs> well, Aliza, we really are so grateful to have you on today. Really, you are a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Your patients are the luckiest patients. <laughs> the luckiest. And I'm hoping if they're looking for a bachelorette, I nominate you. Oh, my you God. Be a marvelous my session. Listening, Aliza would be <laughs> we're team Aliza. Wonderful. Thank, you. Mm-hmm. thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I loved being here and hope to do it again soon. Thank you so much for listening today. And always remember practice gratitude, give a little love to someone else and yourself. And remember, you are not alone. Find us on Instagram at fertility underscore forward. And if you're looking for more support, 
visit us at www.rmany.com and tune in next week for more Fertility Forward.